What's up, UX designers? Welcome to the UX Hustle Podcast. This is a show about having fun designing intuitive and valuable experiences and crafting a fulfilling career within UX design. Now here's your host, Sophia Wojciechowski Prater. So Jason, for those that don't know you, I mean, we've talked, uh, we talked, um, I don't know, maybe like a month ago or something um, when we were recording for User Defenders. But for those that don't know you, can you kind of tell us about your your UX journey, how you got started in user experience design? And for you in particular, I think we need to go way back because I recently learned um, from a podcast, um, I forget which one, who you were interviewing, but I recently learned that you are a high school dropout. Um, so I want to go all the way back to that decision and how that came about and um and kind of how that affected your journey moving forward. Yeah, I that is a valid fact. I am a high school dropout and I so let's start this back way back but and then I'll then I'll jump forward. So I won't I'll take you back to elementary school and then and then I'll jump way forward cuz there's a lot of boring details in the midst of that. Yes, uh so boring details. I, I will try I'll do my best. Um and thank God there's editing, right? Just <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so I actually was on the president's list in second grade and third grade. I made the president's list. So like perfect GPA both years in a row back to back. And I got a trophy and I got uh, you know, brought up on stage with like two other kids. And, and this was in Florida. I, I, I actually was born in Florida. And, and so this was then it was at a private school. Uh, you know, I was a, just an innocent, naive, you know, little kid. And uh, I just, I did, I did my best and I guess I did okay. And then we moved to California, Southern California in 1984. Uh, we, you remember when we were all break dancing, throwing uh, cardboard on the ground with our, you know, uh, our two baggy pants and just trying to, trying to do. So that's, that was the year we moved to California. Um, and then I went to public school for the very first time. And, and I just kind of found myself gravitating toward kind of the bad kids I, and Uh-oh. it just all started there and I just kind of stopped caring. I just kind of, it was a slow, it wasn't immediate, but it was a kind of a slow evolution of me just kind of not really caring that much about, uh, about what I didn't care about, like particularly math. I, I just hated math and I never was very good at math. Um, so, um, so then, you know, let's, let's go ahead and, and kind of fast forward to high school. You know, it just got worse and worse for me. And I, I just kind of, st- I cared less and less. And I just decided like, this is just not for me. Like, I just feel like I'm wasting time. I'm not into this at all. Um, and I just told my mom, I said, I just really, I'm, I'm done. I'm done with this. It was like the first week of junior year, I believe. Um, Were you working at the time? Did you have a, did you have any kind of job at a coffee house or at the skate shop or something? McDonald's. So cliche. I know it's like most people's first job, right? So I was working at McDonald's and like working the fry. I already had like acne, and then you work the fry uh, grease for like three hours. It just like three X's it or four X's it. So that was fun. That was a fun yearbook picture that year um, with my uh, Megadeth shirt and my backwards cap. And so, but yeah, I just, I kind of just was lost. I'll be honest with you. I'd really, I really was just wandering. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I had no clue. I didn't really care either, to be honest with you. I talk a lot about growth mindset versus fixed mindset. Right. And I started out with a growth mindset. Every kid does, right? Do you have kids, Sophia? No, no. Okay. No, for, You'll for discover. kids. For kids okay. and recently now plant kids. So we have a big garden in the front yard and they are, they are our babies. We have okra now, which is super exciting. <laughs> well, that's cool. Those are kids. Those can be kids. Um, so when you have kids, if you do, you will notice, and it blows my mind, like they're, kids are just so creative and there's like no boundaries yet. There's none of that, like, uh, I feel judged. I feel like I'm not good enough. That imposter syndrome, that does not exist yet. It really does. And, you know, and, and you see some of your kids' drawings or their colorings when you pick them up from, from Sunday school. And it's like, wow. Like, you know, <laughs> it's, it's not, you know it's, it's, it's what they did. And they're proud of it, right? Right. It's, it's, it's to you as somebody with a, more of a trained eye. But to them, 
they spent a lot of time and effort, emotional labor on that piece. Um, they created it, they created it and they had fun creating it. So it's amazing. Yeah, exactly. And that's the key. They had fun doing it. They had fun doing it and they, they didn't, they, they didn't have any boundaries around their creativity. And so yeah, coloring outside the lines. Awesome. I feel like we have a lot to learn from kids. I feel like we, over time, we start to, you know, get into these uh, social atmospheres and we start to kind of doubt ourselves a lot more. And it, maybe it's just because of something one person said, right? One person who was insecure themselves. Let's say one thing and it can just completely shatter us, right? And, and you know, I talked to Denise Jacobs a lot about this in, in, the, the, um, in, in her episode about banishing your inner critic. But um, I watched my son. He's 10 now. And we got a piano like a year ago. and. It, he's, it's just amazing to watch him. He'll go and he'll ask me in the morning, dad, can I learn a song on piano? Like, can I just like go and use the iPad and he'll go and search like on YouTube. And he has this one guy that he really likes to learn from and he'll go, he'll think of a song or he'll hear a song on the road in the car. And he'll be like, I want to learn that. And then he'll go and take the iPad. And I'm not kidding. Within like 30 minutes, he'll know how to play the song. Mm. It blows my mind. And then he'll like every morning because the songs keep adding up to his repertoire. <laughs> so he'll play like maybe 10 seconds of one song and then 10 seconds of another one. So because he's trying to stay sharp and remember the song. So like to me, what happened to me? And I realized this, it took me 40 years <laughs> to realize this, um, is that I had a fixed mindset for a long time. And I had this pick me, mm-hmm. pick right. me attitude. I know in my heart, I knew I was a creative person in my heart. I knew I had a lot to offer the world, but you know what? I didn't have the confidence to actually go out and share that. I was waiting to be picked as, as Seth Godin says, and that's not the way to do it. It took me a long time to realize that. And so what was the catalyst that helped you start to find that enthusiasm and find that caring again, where you didn't care for so long? How did you start caring again? Yeah. Um, so I went to, you know how a lot of times they say you, you can't look up until you just are rock bottom until you, you hit the ground yeah. and, and you have no choice at that point. And so honestly, in my life, I made a lot, a series of really, really bad decisions for my life, especially between my, um, my, my teens and my early twenties. Um, and so I, I don't, I don't, I can get into that if you want, but it basically put it this way. Like I was in rehab several times. Um, I mean, I was like, I was doing substances, staying up all night. I mean, to where it was like, I was, I was waiting. I was the first person waiting at the liquor store at six in the morning for, right. for, to try to help me with the come down. And that's the truth. I didn't sleep much. I didn't eat much. I didn't care about myself. Mm-hmm. So I went from the total I nearly died. I'll be honest. I nearly died several times too from overdose. So I went, I went from a, a total polar opposite place and, and it, it wasn't, it wasn't an overnight thing. It wasn't like an instant, like, Oh, I'm going to go from this to this. It was a gradual thing, but, um, I'm a Christian. I, you know, that's really been me going like, I can't do this anymore. Like I just, like I need help beyond myself. And, right. and honestly, that was the biggest life change that happened to me when I turned 21. I went into one bar. I was like, I've been waiting 21 years for this. You know, I went into one bar and it was one of the saddest things I've ever experienced. Mm-hmm. These people early, it was early too. It was like, oh my gosh, you know, I'm not judging anyone. I know that that's a hard thing to fight. I know personally, but I just felt like, man, this is a dark place. It's dimly lit. There's just like, you know, there's people scattered about and, and what are we doing here? What are we doing? What, 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 are, what is the objective? What's the vision? What's the goal here? And I'll be honest with you, like that broke me. I was like, I've been waiting 21 years for this. Right. And it was honestly, it was, it was, I had a couple of other really bad experiences. Again, it was an overdose that led me to go like, I'm, I'm going to die if I don't change and I can't change myself. Mm-hmm. You know? And so honestly, that's where it began for me. But, but that, this was when I was about 22 or yeah, right about 22. And and then it was, you know, I met my wife and then, you know, basically like fast forward nearly 20 years. I'll be honest. I didn't, I still didn't really take good care of myself. I didn't really eat well. I didn't exercise. 
and, and I'll be honest with you, like all these things really have a lot to do with how we feel about ourselves. I mean, that, that's kind of a no-brainer. You think about it. Yeah. Like if I don't care about myself, it's going to be hard for me to care about others. And so like it took me about nearly 20 years to wake up and go like, it's time. I need to take care of myself. I heard a podcast episode by a guy named Pat Flynn who does a Smart Passive Income podcast. Of course, yeah. It was episode 150. I'll never forget because that was the one episode. I had started listening to podcasts a little bit before that for my commute. And I just found myself leaning toward personal growth stuff and entrepreneurial stuff. And then, and then I kind of heard this one episode where he talked about his morning routine and how he did, he, he tried this morning routine based on Hal Elrod's book, The Miracle Morning. Of course. Like, I'm a night owl, man. He's like, I'm a night owl. I never, I do all my work at night. And so he's like, I'm going to try this. He did it. He, he went through his entire routine and I was on my way home Friday night um, listening and I was like, that's what's been missing. That's what's been missing in my life. I wake up every day. How many of us wake up every morning for somebody else? And especially right. our employer. We right. wake up for our employer. It's, nice. it's awesome we have jobs. You know, it's really, really great. But when we wake up for somebody else, even our family, I mean, and I have, I have a lot of, I have a large family, as you know, and I have a lot of kids. And it's okay to wake up for them. But if you don't feel, I always say this, if you don't fill your cup first, you'll have nothing to pour into anyone else. Exactly. You are the, you are the vessel through which your work comes forth. Uh, Absolutely. And if you want to create good work, you have to take care of the vessel. So yep. I have so many follow-up questions, but one, I just want to thank you for sharing all of that. I feel like we have, there's a new zeitgeist. The last couple conferences that I've been to, it's amazing how much we're talking about vulnerability and how I think maybe it has something to do with Brene Brown being on Netflix, but oh, yes. <laughs> um, I, I was at the how conference. I actually, the how conference um, in Chicago and there was a, a workshop on bringing vulnerability into design thinking. I mean, and then a lot of the keynotes were talking wow. about vulnerability too. And what Brene Brown says about vulnerability, which, um, it was really enlightening for me. I had a, I binge on her Ted talks just earlier this year. I just kind of discovered her a little late in the game. And she I talks about how vulnerability is what brings you closer to somebody. And this is so important. And my, from my perspective, this is so important in the design world because we have to get closer to each other. We have to get closer to the problem and vulnerability is so important for that. Um, so I just want to thank you for sharing all of that. Um, Absolutely. There's a lot of follow-up questions there, but let's just start. Can you talk a little yeah. bit about your morning routine and what that looks like? Absolutely. Yeah. So I wake up at 5 a.m. Monday through Friday. Um, I, I miss, I know it's, I miss, it's not every day. I used to be so rigid about it uh, where to where if I went to bed at 12 or one, I was still up at five. I was, and I was like, I'm going to do this because I know how good I feel when I do it. But what I didn't realize is that humans require seven to eight hours of sleep a night to really truly function the way we were designed to. So uh, I, have a, I have a failure story that kind of relates to that happening, but um, I basically um, that's, that's how I start. I start at 5 a.m. I miss some days and that's okay if I need to sleep, I'll do it. But then I, I uh, will go and I'll sit down in my chair and I'll turn the light on because you need, you need to wake up our, our bodies and that's with light where we're designed and engineered to, to wake up to sunlight. And so, um, so I'll just sit in my chair. I'll start reading. I do. I read a little bit of the Bible. I read a little bit of uh, like a, maybe a book if I can. Uh, and then I'll and then I'll go ahead and I'll maybe do a little bit of work if I have like 15 more minutes or 20 minutes. I'll like actually do some work. I might journal. I do like a five minute journal, which is like three things I'm thankful for, um, and then like three things I want to accomplish today. And that's been really effective. I, I really, I, I kind of need to do more of that. I, I miss that sometimes, but that's really nice. It helps set the tone for your day. It helps you kind of be thankful. You start out with gratitude and then you kind of just say, this is what I want to accomplish today. And uh, if you're disciplined, I'm not always disciplined about it. Uh, rarely ever to be honest. These are the three things I accomplish, or these are the two things, or even if it was one thing. So, um, but that's how it'll start for me. And then I'll go immediately downstairs into the basement and get on the treadmill. And I'll do that. I'll, I'll, run, I'll run, jog, walk on the treadmill for 30 minutes. And I've got my TV right in front of me so I can, um, James Clear wrote a book called Atomic Habits. And Love this, one, I will actually habit stack. And I didn't realize that's what it's called. But when you're actually combining something you don't, maybe don't want to do with something that you do want to do, uh, it's kind of a neat way to sort of like to do, to get the both done. So I, 
I don't have Netflix anymore. I, I, I really don't like Netflix for, for parental reasons. I feel like they need to do a lot more in the parental control area. That's another soapbox for another day. Uh, so I canceled my Netflix. Uh, so sadly, I didn't see Brene Brown's documentary. I really, I almost want to do a, a one-week trial just to see that. Um, but yeah, then I'll just kind of exercise and then I'll, um, I'll immediately go up and make coffee for my wife. And I do Bulletproof Coffee. I'm a huge fan. And it's, uh, that's been really, really great for, for your brain. It's a lot of healthy fats we don't really get uh, often in our diets. It's not, it's not the stuff, you know, the grocery stores are engineered to, to kind of show you all the stuff that's manufactured. You really have to work hard. Like all of the fruits and all the, the healthier stuff is on the, the, out, out, the, the outliers, right, on the grocery store. Yeah. So, yeah. so, you know, I do this Bulletproof Coffee. I get the good fats into my brain, and I, I think it's helping me a little bit with my memory. Cause I've been known to be kind of like Dory where it's like, <laughs> tell me something and I'll like immediately forget, so, um, you know, so it's been really nice in that, in that regard. So I'll, yeah, I'll make coffee for my wife and I I'll bring her, her cup, uh, right about 7am and, uh, give her a little kiss and then, uh, you know, just kind of get, get going on making breakfast. And then I'll usually have, uh, eggs, bacon and avocado for breakfast and yeah. So I get off to work. You mentioned something earlier about you have to fill your cup before you fill others' cup, and there is yes. a, a great uh, YouTube clip from. Well, it wasn't originally a YouTube clip. I think it was from the '90s with Stephen Covey, where he does this demonstration about how if you want to, if you have a, he has like a basically a, a big vat of sand. And you have to try to get all the big rocks in. So you kind of have to dig around. It's almost <laughs> impossible to do. But then if you put yeah. all the big rocks first and pour the sand over, you can fit all the big rocks in there. So it's this metaphor of get those. What's that? I love that illustration. Yes. It's, um, I realized that that was a lot. What I, what I was doing with calendar blocking is actually blocking out these sections for deep work, that blocking out these sections for exercise and self-care and eating. Um, so that's one thing that, um, you mentioned that I feel like is maybe one of your secrets for balancing your job, the podcast, the whole community that you're creating around the podcast. Oh my now, gosh. Um, yeah. And also seven kids. So do you have any other, I usually ask this question near the end, but for you, Jason, I have to just cut to the chase and ask it now. Do you have <laughs> any other good uh, kind of UX life hacks, UXing your life so that you can get all these things done and not go completely insane. That you know what? I I haven't figured it out yet. I I haven't. I, I I'm winging it. I'll be honest with you. Like I Some don't really have. <laughs> I, it's crazy sometimes. It's nuts. And and there's certain honestly like I I I have that sort of mentality where I will tend to take on too much because mm -hmm. I just like I have all these ideas and I want to like do them all and feel like I can do them all and. And so sometimes I bite off more than I can chew. And, and I'll be honest, there's times where my wife was like, podcast or me? Like there's been times, I'll be honest with you. Like there's times where, she, and, and I can feel her pain, some of her pain, because like even after I stop, I, I'm, I'm, I'm very committed. I'm very committed and I've, I've been able to build something I'm very proud of. And, and I've been able to bring a lot of really passionate, inspiring designers uh, uh, into a community. And it's, it's, I'm proud of that. But I, I don't really, I haven't figured it out yet. And so like, it's really when I'm, when I'm here, when I'm home and I'm not working, I really try to be as present as possible. Mm -hmm. right? I put the kids to bed every night. I put the kids to bed and that's my, cause she's with them all day. She's a stay at home mom. She homeschools our kids. And so she, she's here all day with them. Right. And so for me, it's like, okay, when I get home, I really want to try to be more like, okay, I'm, I'm going to try to take over a little bit more here. I'm going to try to, to, to serve in any way I can, right? Because you've had a, probably had a tough day. Right. So, um, yeah. So, that's really, I just try to, and, but here's the thing, like, I haven't mastered this yet. I think Pat, people like Pat Flynn are really good at this. At least that's what I, what the, the, the perception is when he talks on this podcast. He's a family guy he, and he's got a ton of irons in the fire, right? This guy is like, I don't know how he, I, that's a good question to ask him too. Um, but I, I think that he, he's mastered a way to kind of like just flip the switch, just turn, turn it off. And I'm not good at that. Like I'm a, I'm a ponderer. I, I'm a, like, I tend to dwell. I can't just shut my brain off. Like I can't just go right from my work and then go immediately into the midst of my family and just like be completely shut off from my work. It takes me a while. It's really so, tough. Yeah. 
Yeah, and she knows. My wife knows me. We've been, we're going to be married 20 years in September. She knows me. She knows when I'm distracted, and she calls me out on it too, which is good. I'm glad she does that. Um, but, you know, Cal Newport wrote a book called Deep Work. You, you, read, you, you mentioned Deep Work, so yeah. I read it. Do you remember what he does? All the same books, basically. I think. Right? <laughs> yeah. They're good books. They're good books. And, and I love that guy. He's just, he's really, really thoughtful about all these things. But I love what he does in his, when he's done with the workday, he has a, like a trigger. He has a, a psychological trigger that he does that really helps him. And I need to try this. I, I, I don't try it. It seems a little hokey to me and maybe that's why I don't do it. But he'll like, when he's about to leave the office, or I don't, maybe he works out and he's got like a ranch or something out in the backyard. I don't know what he does. But when he's done for the day, he will actually, he'll shut his computer down and he'll say, he'll say these three words to himself. After the computer goes off, he'll say, shut down complete. And every time he says those three words, he, it triggers him to go like, I'm done. Like I'm focusing now on, on you know, my family. I'm focusing on you know, being present and, and not you know, being distracted by work anymore. I'm going to, I did my deep work for the day and now it's time. So, and maybe that's another thing is he does his deep work. So he doesn't have any lingering, you know, he doesn't get distracted by YouTube or Twitter or Facebook like I do, you know, like, well, at least, at least Twitter and YouTube. I was going to ask you about shutdown rituals. So I, I've instituted a shutdown ritual and mine, um, I don't have, I don't have a mantra that I say, um, but I do understand how that would work, how it would. I mean, we're just, we're all just, we're training ourselves. Sometimes we also have to train our family and our bosses and our coworkers as well to kind of work with the life that we're trying to design for ourselves. And for me, I look at my calendar, I look at my Trello, and I actually do try to shut my computer down. Um, I close out all my apps at least. Um, nice. and then shut it down and close it down and, and leave the office. Cause I do work from home. So it is, um, uh, it's very, you really have to balance it, put it away. Yeah. Or it, yeah. Will, it will just bleed into the evening. Um, yep. so that shutdown ritual is something that's helped me a lot. Um, so I want to back up because sure. we didn't quite get to how you discovered UX and how you got mm. into this particular space. Um, so yeah. it sounds like you went through you went through a lot in your early 20s. And then when you started coming out of that, I mean, I know that that was probably, it was a years and years of a process. But when, when was it that you started figuring out that this is where your life was going, that this is where your enthusiasm lied, lay, lied? Yeah, yeah, no, I absolutely. So, so here's what happened. In 1995, I was driving cars. I was driving corporate lease cars. So, you know, dead end day job. Right. And I mean, you know, it was, it was okay. It was good to have a job, but I was like, okay, my friend was in during his lunch break, he opened his laptop and, and, and I'm like, what are you looking at over there? And then, and then I went to look at it and he was on America online. Okay. So America online, a lot of people may not know this, but they were kind of the first democratized internet company that let, that actually finally let the public into this thing called the internets. So they actually democratized it. They were the first ones to really do that. Before that, it was just in like government companies and organizations and like schools, I think, and like certain colleges had access to the internet. So that's when I was like, what are you doing in there? And he, he was like in a chat room and he's like, oh, I'm just chatting. I'm in a chat room chatting with what? What's a chat room? And he's like, yeah, there's people all over the world in here. I'm like, what? People all over the world talking to you right now in a room and you're just immediately like instant response to your, what you're typing. And he's like, yeah, he's like, give it a shot. And so he like, let me try it. And I was like, this is amazing. This is incredible. How is this possible? Right. It was, just, it, was it was a mind blowing uh, experience for me. It was an aha moment. Mm -hmm. That was the first one. And then I was like, I got to get one of these little coasters, these CDs, we call them coasters because they, you know, you get like a hundred of them you know, within several months. Um, but I was like, I got to get one of these CDs and like get my 70 free hours of America online or whatever it was. And so I, I did it. I tried it at home and, and then I kind of created my own profile. That was really fun. Create your own avatar. And then, and then I, and then I discovered something. I, I discovered a webpage. I, I had no idea what that was because even in America online, even in AOL, it, their ecosystem was built so that in such a way that it was just basically modular. It wasn't really necessarily a webpage. It wasn't really a browser. 
uh, Netscape was just kind of getting its its legs under it. Um, so basically with America Online, you, I noticed that there was a web page that somebody that I was able to access through their modular kind of system there. And, and then it said, like, you can make your own web page using personal publisher. And I was like, what? And then so I like started digging into that. Personal publisher is basically um, AOL's front page, right? They're like Dreamweaver. Like, so it's, so make your own web page. And so I, I started learning. I found a couple of HTML tutorials through, through their system. And I started learning HTML. And then I started, then I started making my own, my very first web page. And as somebody who has an artistic background, just more just self-taught, you know, used to draw Wolverine and, and detention is what I tell people. And so um, I love comic books. I still do. That's why the, the theme of the show is kind of superhero related. There's a, there's a real full circle thing to that about failing, about being a failed superhero. Pretty much every superhero you really love and admire, they've had some big failure or multiple big failures, but they've gotten back up. And they've done it to serve others in the sacrifice of themselves. And so, anyway, I discovered Personal Publisher. I started learning HTML. And I started making my, my very first web page. And, and just the marriage. It was the marriage of design and technology that was, for me, I was like, this is it. Like, I've never felt that way about anything before. Like, that strongly about this is what I want to do. I knew it then. And it took me another three years, nearly four years to actually finally see that to a reality. But I, I probably had about 50 animated GIFs on that. On that um, animated GIFs were so awesome then. And then we were like, in the 2000s, we're like, those are dumb. Those are dumb. And then now it's like an, all animated GIFs, right? And it's like, it's funny how everything goes full circle. That's right. Um, and so your first, um, correct me if I'm wrong, I'm going to use air quotes here, real job was yeah. was that with myspace was that the myspace job no 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 it wasn't actually that was that came uh several years later probably about eight seven years later uh but the first real job that i had in the field was at an advertising agency actually and this was in 1999 it was at, toward the end of 1999 i got into an ad agency and i had an awesome by that time i had an awesome portfolio like for the time it was super visual. Like I learned, you know, David Siegel's table hacks on creating killer websites. I think that book changed a lot of our lives. A lot of the, the, the people who are web pioneers who are like doing a lot of, who it kind of really helped build this thing. Like I can't say that I helped build the medium of the web, but I feel like a pioneer because I was there and I watched it all happen. And I did what I could. I created a community uh, that got a lot of traction for a little while, but, um, you know, I read that book and it changed my life. And, and a lot of us, it's like, whoa, we don't have to just have, you know, a black text on a white page that stretches all the way to the end of the screens. You know, the first web pages were responsive, by the way. Right, right. Responsive web design. <laughs> so, but I, and then I, I realized that I was like, whoa, I can be artistic, creative, and technical. Because I had an Amiga back in the days. We're kind of going back and forth here. But in, in the early days, when I was uh, about nine or 10, we had a Commodore Amiga computer and that was like cutting edge at the time the graphics were incredible this was like right before apple came on the scene with their their macintosh or right it might have been right after but it was basically amiga's way to kind of say hey we're better than apple this little apple computer our graphics are way better and so i learned i started learning code i started learning uh, a basic uh through the amiga they had this some tutorials some booklets and i started learning how to code and i was like this is amazing like i can it's the cause and effect like I can type some stuff into the screen and I can make her talk to me. I can make her say whatever I want her to say. It was like, it was incredible. So I had that like kind of, I have that kind of like programming side too. I, I wish I had more of a right brain. Like my father's an actual literal rocket scientist. Like he was there when, when the Apollo missions were about to celebrate the Apollo missions, uh, the 50 year uh, moon landing. He was there. He was in the firing room. So I was like, I don't have as much of that right brain. I got a little bit. So I kind of I kind of got the both both sides of the brain more more certainly and I'm sorry left brain is more the the technical side I'm more right brain and, right. and I, I I wish I were, were a little more left brain so I love your story and I want to get into all the details about it but I want to ask about education because education is such a big kind of I mean we're just figuring it out in the UX field uh, and I think you were talking uh, to uh, to Andy Bud about this and about how important education is um yeah. or it might have been andy vitale one of the andes um, i think it was fun. yeah I think and it was um yeah so you are it sounds like about 100 percent self-taught 
what do you think about UX education today? What's happening with it? It's a popular thing. Uh, and for good reason, right? Because there's a lot of new designers that are just itching to break in. And, and many of them are gathering on UD community, on the, on the community that I started. It is amazing to kind of see these folks, their hunger. It's, it's contagious, right? Like it's, you know, I still love what I do, but it, there's nothing like just the very the kind of early stages of just going, whoa, like discovery, kind of like Christopher Columbus, discovery. I mean, you know, like this is incredible. I think education, I think it, UX education has come a long way. I mean, you know, like when I was, ta- I was talking to you, it was web design. It was all web design at the time. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, there's part of me that kind of misses the simplicity, honestly, of those days. I know that there, there is certainly, you know, it's like a lot of us say, oh, if I only lived in the old days, things would be so much better. I, no, you know what? Not really. Like they didn't have medical technology. They didn't, you know, right. If you got a cold, like in the 1800s, chances are you could die right at like 20 or 15 or earlier younger and so it's like you know i i feel like we've come a long way and i'm really thankful for that and i'm thankful for especially the recognition of design the field of design in the corporate environment i'm really really glad about that that finally the value of design has been uh, seen and experienced and you know the money show me the money it's it's shown that it's proven that um but i i guess i just i i kind of miss the simplicity back then um, so, but yeah, the field, the field of UX is just blown up the field of UX, the, the educate, and as a result, education's come along and said, Hey, you know, fast track your way to a UX career. I, I don't think that's necessarily possible. It's, I, I really, you know, I don't, it takes 10 years to become an overnight success kind of thing. Right. But I think that one thing I think about schools, one thing is that they're very expensive very expensive. Okay. But I know that even normal college is expensive. It's probably way more expensive than a UX school. So, so there's that contrast, right? There's that psychological contrast that you have there. Um, but if you're just starting out, you may not have $10,000 or even $5,000 to take an accelerated course. And if you do like that might be your life savings, like that you, you, you're really going all in at that point. And I'm actually talking to somebody in the community right now that's kind of at, in, at this exact same place where she's like asking for, for help, for advice. Like, should I do this? Like, I, I've, I've been taking all the Linda courses. I've been doing all the YouTube stuff. I've, I'm, I'm a self-learner. I'm, and, 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 you know, and, and I'm learning a lot, but I, I really feel like I need to get my hands dirty. I feel like I need to get my hands dirty. And I said, you know what? If you can swing it, do it. You know, if you, if you can learn okay on your own and just get enough of your own knowledge to just dive in and, and get somebody, a company to believe in you enough. And I say, especially because of your soft skills you have. Right. Because you know, soft skills are harder to teach than hard skills. That's a fact. Exactly. Right? Um, it's hard to teach somebody to stop being a jerk. Yeah. It's really, really hard. So I just say, you know, go on in your soft skills. If you can do this on your own, great. If you need that acceleration, if you're at a place where you're like, I just need to do this, do it. If you can afford it, do it. Um, so, but that's the thing. Like if you, yeah, the, the debt thing, that's it. That for me, like, especially with my large family, like, I don't think I, I couldn't swing that right now. I couldn't swing a $10,000 or even $5,000 education program. Right. Uh, and I, I can't have that debt hanging over me. I really can't. And so that's kind of my struggle personally, but I'm glad they exist. I'm glad that they're getting better too. So I think it's, um, I really like the series that, that you just, I think you just wrapped up on, getting landing your first ux job or landing any ux job yeah, landing a job Talk yeah about finding a culture fit and interviews and ux portfolio um those are kind of all i think a lot of that advice was really timeless um uh, that it could have applied Good. 10 years ago what do you think is different about today i mean it's so popular now there are all these courses and there's a lot of content online too it's just i feel like certifications are just cropping up like internet weeds. Um, what do you, like, how do you feel like it's changed? How do you feel like today it's a different ball game? One word, business. Interesting. We didn't care about business in the, in the wild west of the web. There wasn't e-commerce. Right. It didn't exist. Amazon right. was the, one of the first to do it and eBay and they obviously did something right because they're still here. They survived the, they were like among the few that survived the dot bomb crash that I witnessed and I lost my job. I couldn't find work for two, nearly two, three years. And honestly, I, I'm, it's a tug of war for me. I think we've lost a lot of creativity because of business. 
On the other hand, we've gotten, we've received a lot more jobs. There's a lot more opportunity because of business. It's a tug of war for me. The table too. Better seats at the table, better business decision. I'm a stakeholder right now. I'm a stakeholder and a designer. I've never been that in my whole career. I've never been a stakeholder on a prod. Thank you. (laughs) I've never been a stakeholder like for better or worse for my team. Now I think they like me. Um, so it's, it's really funny. Like I'm both, I'm the designer and the stakeholder on this project. And so it's like, I'm finding myself going like, what does that mean? What does that mean to be a stakeholder? Like, well, it means you're really thinking a lot about, of course, about the users, of course, but you're also thinking about the business implications. I've never had to go, get a business case, uh, file a business case, right? Compose it, file it, get a champion in the executive level in the C-suite to go like, yes, I'm going to be a champion. I'm going to be a sponsor for this project because I believe it's a good idea. And here's the hoops we have to go through. It's a lot of work. And I have a lot more empathy now for those disciplines. I didn't before until I became, I kind of stepped into those shoes. That's another case for empathy, right? It's like, we think a lot about empathy about it's And it certainly it has a lot to do with your users, but it also has to do with your fellow associates, your, their disciplines, what they have before them. We don't know, we don't see it. And, and also the business itself. I think business, like any up and coming designer, if you get a, if you already have a good handle on business, maybe because of you were really, you paid attention in high school, like I didn't, sadly, um, then you are, you already have a leg up. Right. If you don't take a class, take a class on business. I'm, I'm noticing that too. Uh, this, this project that I'm working on right now, we're redesigning or we're kind of coming up with some onboarding concepts and in coming up with the onboarding concepts, we are realizing that we are creating suggestions about the business model (laughs) because how the business model is now is thus making for a very complex onboarding. And we're realizing, can we simplify the business model to simplify the onboarding? Um, And our client is looking to us for that. They're actually looking for, as a bunch of UXers, looking for business model and business process redesign as well. Hold on a second. Think about that. Think about that, listeners. Business people are looking to designers for business ideas and suggestions. That... Uh, that is something that is a turn of the tide. It really is. So that's great advice to understand business, to be able to speak that language. So that's really interesting. So I want to, um, we only have a few minutes left, so I want to shift gears into all the kind of stuff that you have going on now. And, um, user defenders, the podcast that you have has a very distinct brand. It's got the whole superhero theme, which is very cool. Um, but you're moving more and more into community building now. You have the user defenders. Um, I, what do you call it? Community? User defenders community? Mm-hmm. The yep. forum, yep. Um, mm-hmm. which I just joined, um, which it looks like a yeah, really thank cool. you. Can you talk about the difference between building a brand and building a community? Wow, interesting question. I, I feel like they're, they go hand in hand. I, I really do. I, I feel like I was already building a community. Mm-hmm. But when I was building my brand, I was already building a community around this brand. My biggest challenge is that I never, I, until I started U- User Defenders Community, I never realized, I never figured out the best way to bring all of us together in one place. And so, and it was one of those things is just waiting for the technology to catch up. Like, uh, this is probably a terrible <laughs> analogy because a lot of people hate this movie, but, you know, James Cameron waited 10 years for the technology to catch up with what he wanted to do, what he envisioned for Avatar, the very first Avatar. He really did. He waited 10 years. So on one hand, you're like, as a creative person, you're like, I have the script. I put a lot into the script, whether or not it's bad. Um, I put a lot into this script and, and, and I, I really want to launch this. I want to release this. Imagine like having to sit, having to wait 10 years before you can actually put something into the world. But in his case, it worked because I mean, obviously that movie made a lot of money and it was a visual feast. If you got to see it in IMAX 3D, like I did, yes, the story was lacking, but man, was that a visual feast. Oh, I was there trying to grab those flowers. Yes, <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. That's still some of the best 3D. Every time I would see a 3D movie, I'm like, that's ah, not as good as Avatar. <laughs> it's true. It's true. And so like, I, in this case, it was like, I knew I had a Slack channel. I had a Slack channel for like three years that I was just sitting, I was squatting on. Mm. And I always envisioned when I did start a community, I always envisioned it being a Slack because why? That's what everybody's doing. Everybody's doing it. It must be the right way, right? No, not necessarily. 
I, I think, and then I finally waited for the right platform and I wouldn't have known it uh, until somebody told me about it. And so it was this, this platform I'm using. It's called Mighty Networks. It's, it's incredible. It was built for this exact thing. It's got all the good UI and usability things that Facebook and Twitter have, um, but it's in your own branded platform. And so it's like, hey, if you're a designer, this is an entirely focused platform on design, what you care about, UX and design and personal growth. These are, those are the themes that I really, really go all in on on the show. I think they're both hand in hand. I love the, the Mighty Networks thing seems very cool. It feels like a very clean space. Um, you've been able to take your brand and create, basically, you've been able to hang your own window dressings there and, and make Precisely. it feel like this is a place for this type of conversation. And that's really interesting how just sometimes you just need to wait for the technology to come to you. I mean, for me with podcasting, it was anchor. Like I <laughs> anchor had to make it easy enough for anchor. me to kind of just like, you know, spend 45 minutes and whoops up. I just published a first podcast. Okay. <laughs> they almost make it too easy, but God bless UX, right? I mean, they make it, they make it super easy. And that, yeah, and that's UX for you. So this is, yeah, whoa, very meta conversation. So it was the user experience of these platforms that actually helped us become, uh, become better creators and creators of right. brand and community and content. Exactly. Just to go a little bit further into brand and community, do you feel like it's really important to have a really strong brand, which User Defenders does? Um, before you build a community, are these things that kind of can evolve together or is it even possible to start building a community before you actually have a brand? Mm, that's interesting. I, I really believe that you need to build a brand before mm -hmm. you can bring people together. And I'm not saying, you know, and, and I think it's important that we clarify too, because I know there's a lot of creative people listening. A brand is not a logo. It is not. Right. I mean, it's a part of it. It's important. It's an important part of it. But a brand is not a logo. It's the way people feel about you and your, what you're doing. So right. I think it's important to, to really build a great brand. And, and it doesn't even have to, have to be like an organization. Like I didn't, I never envisioned when I started User Defenders, I never envisioned like signing up for my county LLC to get an LLC, become like a limited liability company. I never envisioned that. But I did that probably two, two and a half years ago or so. Um, but I think you just build a brand first and as a personal brand, build your personal brand, focus on what you, what people think of you and how you're projecting yourself and how you're, you know, showing up to meetings on time or not. Right. If you're not early or late, some people say like, and I, and I, I apologize to you. I know I was two minutes late to our meeting today and I felt bad about that. <laughs> I felt, I was like, I'm trying so okay hard because I was trying to set up my new Yeti. <laughs> okay. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for that. Grace. <gasps> I was um, like, when is Jason going to show up so we can show me how to put on this pop filter? <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. That's true. Yes. And um, sure. Okay. In a recent podcast, you talked about this hunger to grow. This like for a new UX designer, really anybody on the job hunt. Um, when I say new UX designer, it could be somebody looking for their first job. Often the first, second, and third job sometimes kind of suck. So Sometimes you're on the job hunt um, just because industry hasn't really figured out what to do with entry-level UX designers. I think that that's one of the big problems. A lot of these big brands, they bring new UX designers in and they don't have the culture and they don't have the organization to really know how to intake people. So often those first couple years of being a UX designer, you're on the job hunt, even if you have a job. So you talked about in an interview, um, seeing that hunger to grow will often trump experience. What are some good ways for UX designers to show that hunger to grow, especially if like you, you are a self-proclaimed introvert, if they're more introverted, yeah. how do they show that they're really enthusiastic and they're really hungry to learn and grow? I think it's all in the attitude. I think it really is. And, and by the way, you mentioned entry-level UX. And, and I, this is just a little sidebar, but isn't it funny that you see all these entry-level UX positions requiring three to five years of experience? Exactly. What the heck? What the heck? Yeah. And I do believe that that hunger to grow can sometimes trump that three to five years of experience. If you show, Absolutely. you can communicate how excited you are about the company and how excited you are about learning. 
um, then potentially you can get around that three to five years. Absolutely. I believe it. And with the attitude, like how do you show that you have that attitude? I think humility. I think it's humility, but it's also enthusiasm. It's, it's, a, it's a combination. It's like the perfect combination of, of humility, enthusiasm, passion, and insatiable, insatiable hunger and mm-hmm. thirst for growth. Mm-hmm. And, and I think when you truly have that, you don't even have to try to show it. It's just, it just bubbles out of you. It's, right. it's just natural. And I'll be honest with you, I, I see there's so many people on the community that, that I just see that spirit and I know they're going to do well. And that's what keeps me going. Just knowing like, my goodness, it, there could be one thing that I say or one thing that one of my guests says that can just really transform everything, could change everything for this person. And they could go on to become the next Doug Dietz or Margaret Hamilton is what I always say. You know, Doug Dietz designed the Discovery MRI series from GE that just made MRIs fun for kids. Like, that is, I love that, the empathy of that. And then Margaret Hamilton was a programmer on the Apollo space missions, and she's an unsung hero. She does not get nearly enough credit, like hardly enough credit for what she did for those astronauts when, when the computer started overloading. She was smart enough to make subroutines that go, I know that this, this is like a, a one kilobyte processor, you know, like five kilobyte maybe. Think about that. Mm. I know that this is not going to crunch everything that we need to. In the case that it doesn't, and these guys are in space trying to land on a moon for the first time. Nobody's ever done it. No experience. I'm going to be smart enough and empathic enough to design subroutines that go, shoot, let's restart this really quick. Let's reboot this and not lose the data. That's what keeps me going. I know the next Doug Dietz, the next Margaret Hamilton yeah. listening to user defenders. And they're going to hear something that's going to just, radically, just change everything. And they're going to change everything for other people. That's awesome. For, for those that are self-teaching or they've done a general assembly course or a boot camp, um, and then they're continuing their education, they're continuing to self-teach. Is there a way that people can be talking about that or publishing it or just kind of like sharing what they're learning? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I'd love to see more of that. I, I don't see that. I mean, if listeners, like there's an opportunity right there for you. If you're self-taught and you like start a YouTube channel, like I th- I've seen a lot more UXers start doing really well, like on a UX, um, on their own uh, YouTube channel that's UX uh, themed. That, I, yeah, get out there and do more of that. Show us, show us your journey. And that's kind of another segue into the mentoring thing. That's why I think mentoring is so important. And I'm, I, I have some ideas. I have some ideas. I'm talking with other members about kind of what can we do here? Because I, I just, every day I see a new thing. And some of it's from members. Some of it's just from out there in the Twitters or whatever. But like people are really hungry for mentorship. Right. Yeah. I'm like, I am... I need to do something about this. Like I have 500 people in one place, designers in one place that would love, I don't, I'm not know 500 need it or want it, but there's certainly a good percentage that would love something like this. And I think it would only help the community continue to grow. If you know you can go and pay like 10 bucks a month for getting mentorship, exclusive trainings and like, and, and also like a book club and, and just connecting with other designers and even near you, you can see people that are actually in your city, uh, you know, through this, the, the member search. So it's like, if I can, if I can bring all this in, like, this is just a great, a great incentive to be a part of something like this. I'm working on it. I, that's <laughs> what I say. Are you visualizing a, like a, a, a match.com for you, <laughs> UX mentors and mentees? Yeah. Without the heavy petting. How cool would that be? Right. Without the heavy petting, without the Harvey Weinstein. Right? Yeah, yeah, just the um, just the good knowledge exchange, and I mean, Absolutely. I think that I get so much out of all the uh, all my mentees. Um, they teach me every day, so I think that's also something important for the senior level folks to remember is that this industry changes so much and so quickly. We need to be learning from the people that are coming in too, because they're learning stuff that we didn't learn. Uh, so keeping your ears and eyes open. Um, we really need to be teaching each other because coming in at a different generation and a different time, um, the context is just so different. So we just all need to kind of, we're all amateurs here. (laughs) I love, we're all beginners. Mm -hmm. We're all, I don't care how long you've been doing this. I've been doing it 25 years. I'm a beginner. Right. I, I really am. And, and it's the good part about that is that it keeps us learning. It keeps us knowing there's, there's still another milestone. 
there, there's still more to do. There's still more to learn. And I love that you said that we need to be learning from beginners too. We need to be learning because they are, they're like in the trenches learning. They're like sponges, like my son on his piano, playing his piano, learning his songs. They're sponges. Um, okay. So <laughs> I'm going to be really greedy. Can I steal a little, like a couple more minutes of your time and ask one more question? Absolutely. Okay. So you've been, um, you've been doing the podcast since 2015. Is that right? That's correct. Okay. So, oh my goodness, we are coming up on five years now, which is forever <laughs> in, um, oh my in goodness. technology dog years. Um, so you have been kind of having your finger on the pulse on leaders in UX. You've been having these in-depth conversations. Um, where do you see, knowing the trajectory that you've seen, where do you see UX going in like 10 years? Oh, goodness. There's a lot of pressure attached to that question. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I used to, when I started the show five, nearly five years ago now, I spent, I'm not kidding. I spent probably a month trying to figure out the questions that I was going to ask my, that I was going to ask my guests. I did not have the boldness. I didn't have the confidence to just, um, to just kind of shoot from the hip. I did not. I, so I was like, as an introvert, I need to have these questions, these base questions to lean on. Uh, when I'm, when I'm talking to, to folks. So, um, so I basically like, I, I got to a place and I'm trying to remember what my point was there. Um, oh shoot. I hate what I did. had like a template for your question. So, I mean, have you been asking the same? Thank you. Thank you. You just question? reminded me. I've been, I had been. And then, so I needed to lean on these. One of those questions that I used to ask all my guests that I asked them for probably the first couple of years of the show was what, what does the future of UX look like to you? Mm -hmm. And I've got some really interesting answers for that question. And then after about a year of asking that question, I started to see trends. I started to see patterns in that. And it's like, you know, it's a tough question to answer, of course, but it's an interesting one. So I, I, I guess I'll take my, I'll take a best stab at it. Um, I think we're going to continue to see um, a lot more, a lot less screens. I think we're going to, I think we're going to see screens in a different way than we're used to. I think we're going to, we're not going to see less screens. We're just going to see them in, in very different ways than we ever anticipated. Right? Like there's already, um, what are this glass company did this thing? Did you ever see that video? And I can't remember the name of the glass company, but they did this, 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 uh, demo of this is what this world could look like when you're like in your bathroom, you have a screen there and for better or worse, right? Like, I'll be honest with you. Like there's times I just need to get away from the screen. Right? Like, so I don't know what that's going to mean for society, for our culture. I feel like I have a lot, like I could probably spend another hour talking about why I think that all of our devices are not helping us as humans, all of our social media, especially Mm -hmm. It's actually hurting our humanity. It's hurting our empathy. Um, so for better or worse, we're going to see a lot more screens. They're just going to be outside of a laptop, outside of a, a cell phone. They're going to be on objects, everyday objects, everywhere. Like I think Minority Report, uh, is, that yeah. movie like, is still like way ahead of its time. When he's walking through the, the mall or whatever, like he, it's through retina. Like He's got these implants. And that's like, that's like Black Mirror stuff. Like, and that's one of the things that kind of terrifies me. Yeah. If you've ever watched Black Mirror, there's that one episode, yeah. I think it's like episode two or three of the very first season where he has these implants, this, this retinal implant and, and he's like recording everything. And it and they, like, they, it, him and his wife have the, he said, she said yes. argument and, like, like, oh, let's rewind and actually see. Let's go ahead and rewind. <laughs> that's not healthy. That's not Ew. healthy. That's not meant to be, people. That's not meant to be. But the thing that terrifies me is that I can see that happening in the future. And this guy, the Black Mirror, he's like some sort of prophet. He's some sort of tech, tech prophet. Because a lot of the stuff he's written, I can totally see it happening, and it scares the, the H-E double hockey sticks out of me. So do you think that UX, part of our role, is going to be to tame technology or even to, to temper it? Sometimes the answer is less technology or no technology. For like we are not we're designing not necessarily a user experience but a human experience with technology alongside yes. it in a healthy way. Yes, I think that's the future, which might be in contrast with business. Um, so yeah, it very well could be. Challenge. Here's here's what I'm seeing. Here's what I'm seeing. Right, and you you touched on it right there. I think we're going to see the people who really care about other people who have empathy and who want to do good 
and want to balance out our, our screen time and all that, I think we're going to see some really interesting things happen. We're already seeing some of this from people like Tristan Harris and his um, humane technology. Yeah. Uh, people like Liza, Liza Kindred, who is who has runs Mindful Technology, as she was on the show. Um, and I think we're going to continue to see stuff from, from, especially from leaders like that, that are going to help influence the ethical side of what we're going to continue to do because it's going to continue to change. Um, and then here's the other thing that's like way off in left field, but I'm like you can. Listen to this 10 years from now, and, and I'm serious. I, 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 this is what's going to happen. You saw Terminator, right? We're going to see some really crazy stuff happen with artificial intelligence. Um, Elon Musk talks a lot about it. I tend to agree with him that when machines become too intelligent, so intelligent where they can self-replicate mm -hmm. and start to have their own wills, start to have their own uh, autonomy, we might need to be a little concerned. So... I, and, and here's the other thing. I can see a lot of people, like people in, entrenched in technology, I can see a lot of these people like moving to the woods, like yeah. just completely going off the grid and just like learning how to just live off the land. Well, the interesting thing about this is I, I think that um, you know, like right now engineers are outnumbering designers. And even with that fact, um, there is a... Uh, what I'm hearing a lot from my, from leading ladies at UX and UX hustle club and all these kind of mentoring things that I'm doing. And I'm working with a lot of these entry level UX designers. What I'm hearing is that they feel that they're, that the market is very saturated, that there's just every, they go to a meetup and everybody's just another new UXer. Um, and I think that the, the irony there is that we need so much more designers. We need so many more UX designers. They are all like, like, come on, we need you. We need you join forces. Yeah because there is, there's a lot more engineers out there and we are at every company. You can go to these companies and there's 500 engineers and for to every, you know, one designer, <laughs> maybe not such mm. a terrible ratio. And if you look at these technology companies and also since engineering is working at a technology pace and they have, um, they have good old Moore's law and everything, it's going at this oh, yeah. exponential rate when we're working at a linear human rate. And I don't think we're keeping, we're keeping up. And that is what is scary to me is that the technology is moving faster than we can, we can keep up with ethical considerations, um, privacy considerations, all of these things. We're getting left in the dust here. And yet still all these new UXers are feeling like it's saturated. So something's wrong with that picture. Uh, I think that there needs to be a correction there where we need to be, we need to, I don't know whether it's just having a better intake for all these new UX designers, um, education. I don't know what the answer is, but, uh, but yeah, we definitely need all the UXers we can get. Yeah. Well said, Sophia. I, I agree with you. I agree. And we do need more designers than ever. And cause there's so much broken and, you know, there's like part of me that's like, well, if we have too many designers working on stuff, like maybe we won't be have work to do. No, I'm just kidding. I don't believe that. There's <laughs> <gonna> be, <laughs> maybe that maybe it's going to hurt my, my job security. <laughs> no, honestly, there's always something that needs to be fixed. Always. And and you know what? I want to I want to touch on something that you know we're reading the design of everything in in our book club right now. We're going to talk about it in about a week, one week from from today, and um. One of the things that I noticed, and Don Norman wrote this a long time ago, right? And he just went and revised it about um, five, year, five years ago, six years ago. Um, but what he said then makes a lot of sense still today. And, and it has to do with, here, I'm just going to quote him. He said, the reasons for the deficiencies in human-machine interaction are numerous. Why? Because much of the design is done by engineers who are experts in technology but limited in their understanding of people, mm -hmm. right? And he exactly. also says the problem with the designs of most the problem with the designs of most engineers is that they are too logical. And he said we have to accept human behavior the way it is, not the way we wish it would be. Exactly. This is what um, Andrew Hinton was saying this at the the UX Hustle Summit last year. He was saying that. I mean, you can, the technology is always going to change, but the one thing you can always continue to learn about that doesn't change quite as quickly is human behavior and human psychology. Exactly. Couldn't agree more. The one constant is change. 
Jason, thank you so much for your time. And we've talked a lot about the stuff that you're working on. We're going to link to all of that in the show notes. Is there anything else that we need to know about something that you're working on, a project that I need to make sure that the um, UX Hustle listeners know about? Oh, goodness. I, I would love for hustlers. What do you call them? Hustlers is weird, huh? You probably don't call them that. <laughs> well, hustlers. Check out the community. It's at community.userdefenders.com. Love to have you there. Uh, if you're just super passionate about UX design, which I have a feeling you are since you're listening to the show, you're listening to Sophia and following her great work. So check it out and uh, kick the tires. It's free for seven days. See if you like it. See if you find value. If not, no, no big deal. Um, there's a lot. The good news is that there's a lot of, of community. There's a lot and there's, you know, doesn't hurt my feelings at all because you can find something that's a better fit for you. But check it out, see if it's a good fit. And um, um, yeah, I just, I guess I just really want you just to go all in on empathy. Mm-hmm. I really just want you to do that. I, I want all of us to to stay human. And in, in, we live in a technical world. I love technology, but never lose your humanity in the midst of working in it. Exactly. Well said. Hustlers and defenders unite. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for hanging out with the UX Hustle. For show notes and more episodes, go to uxhustle.org slash podcast. And remember, don't wait for inspiration to act. Act to get inspired.